Revelation 22, beginning in the first verse. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there, they need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right of the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to that reading of his inspired word. Beautiful words, aren't they, in that psalm that I'm going to run in the ways of your word, the ways of your law, because I've been set free. That's really the definition of true freedom, isn't it? The freedom to walk in accordance with God's word. Well, we are speaking of this subject this morning as we carry on in the book of Revelation, chapter 22. We pick up on... Something, I suppose, that we had mentioned in relation to the last subject, that the saints are going to see the face of God. It is the fact that God has told us about this, and he means to do it. He's promised to do it. 
And the means that he's, he's told us, the means that he has communicated these wonderful things to us is through his word. And particularly as we go through these verses, verses 6 to 10, we'll look at verse 7. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That's a very blanket and general subject. It is the key to everything. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, this has to do with so many things, doesn't it? It has to do with the whole concept, the whole idea of God communicating with us. What is the nature of that communication to us? How has he communicated? Why has he communicated? In what form has he communicated to us? And, of course, what's the connection then between having that word and the blessing that should come from it? So much depends on these things. It all begins with a great reality that our God actually speaks and is not silent. That's the problem with the idols, that the word of God is not shy to tell us that these idols are dumb and cannot speak. And even worse than that, I suppose, I don't know if it could be worse, but of the agnostics and atheists who declare to us that there, there is no God to speak. And, of course, the, the deists are just a step removed from that. There is a God, but he doesn't speak. What good is such a God to us. No, our God is real and he does speak. And the essence of his lordship as God is that he can speak to us. He has that ability and he uses it. He uses it to command. He uses it to direct. He uses it to correct and to bless and to everything else that he does. He uses it to create. This is the great element of his godness that he is able to communicate with us. It all begins with that. And for these reasons, I suppose, it's not any surprise that we are blessed if we hear these things and keep them. God's method of blessing us is through his word and his spirit. And it is the essence, then, of our own good. If we know what is good for us, I don't know if you've ever heard that, if you know what's good for you, you're going to to do this. Well, there's an element, a right element, of self-interest in these things. Blessed is he who keeps these words, because that's what you're going to be if you do that. Well, blessed is he who keeps the words of this book. I'll consider these four points. The nature of God's word, the word committed to a book, eternal blessing is attached to it, and fourthly and finally, the word is urgent. So first, the nature of God's word. Because there is a word from God. As I mentioned, false gods are silent. That's what Psalm 115 verse 4 says. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. The idea of our idols that we create, and our hearts are always creating them, is that though we can act like they have mouths, though we can sort of uh, fashion for them some kind of a mouth, Yet, of course, they have nothing to speak because they're not real. And inasmuch as they have some reality, of course, it's a demonic reality. And if we ever did hear anything from a false god, from an idol, we'd be hearing from a demon, wouldn't we? And we know that Satan, of course, tries to ape God in his communication. 
He also tries to be the speaking God that, we, that the whole world worships. The Antichrist tries to usurp the position of Christ in the church and is trying to speak to us in various ways. But we know that these are the words of demons. These are lies designed to kill us from the murderer himself. But of course our God is in the greatest possible contrast to both of these things. He speaks unlike these dumb idols. And when he does speak, he speaks that which is true and life-giving, unlike these demons. Just in the, th- the third verse of the entire Bible, in Genesis 1-3, then God said, and that's enough, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. In this very act of creation, this act of creation is an act of speaking. He creates through his speech. And so there was never a time, quite literally, never a time in which there was no word from God. As soon as there was anything at all, there was a word from God. Now, there are quite literally thousands of verses throughout Scripture that we count the direct speech of God, how God has spoken to us directly. But, of course, it's not just the ones that contain his direct speech. And, and this, I must, as an aside, say, why well, I'm not so keen on, on red-letter Bibles. I have one. There it is. I can't avoid it. For some reason, these publishers love this idea. But I don't like it. You know why? Because it's saying that the direct words of Christ are the things that should be particularly highlighted for our attention and not everything else. That is also equally the words of Christ because he inspires the whole thing. And sometimes you have the ironic situation where you have a word from God the Father that's in black and then a word from God the Son that's, that's in red. And that's just crazy. It's all the words of God the Holy Spirit anyhow. And so when we look at this word, we are thankful that we have these elements of God's direct speech and his words directly to us from the Father and also from the Son. But we have to understand that the whole word is God's word to us. And it is not a small book. It is a huge huge book that God has spoken to us. Now, the nature of God's word is not only that there is a word that God does speak, but that he gives his word through angels and prophets. And it's something if you look at just these four verses, how many times prophets or prophecy or angel comes up? Because this is, these are the human and, well, angelic means by which he has communicated to us. In verse 6, for instance, And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things that must shortly take place. That is the process of inspiration. That is God, how God ordinarily speaks to us. By sending his angels and his prophets to show us what's going to happen. Holy prophets that are inspired by the Spirit of God. Now this God also sent his angels. Now we know that that word means messenger as well as angel. And that really seems to be the primary function given to angels. They are messengers of God's word as they have been used in the Old Testament and throughout Revelation. We have seen that God is speaking through an angel who is telling us these things. And he's going to show his servants. Notice that? He's going to show his servants not just servant as in John, because John was the one receiving that guided tour personally and individually, but he's been given this in order that he might show his servants, and that includes all of us, because all of us have been made privy to this 
throughout this great book of Revelation, but throughout Scripture as a whole. He has sent his angel, he has sent his angels in all the history of Revelation in order that we might know these things that are going to happen. We are very much included in the reception of this word. He sends by angels and prophets, not for their own benefit, but that we, his people, all of his people, might know these things. Now, it's also a very important concept, this idea that he sends through angels and prophets, for another reason. Because if there is to be blessing in this word, then it must be the real thing. It must be absolutely accurate and free from any human error. You know, that's the great sad thing about liberal and progressive and critical approaches to God's word is they end up explaining this in terms of human culture, in terms of human limitations. And the only problem is if it has this element of human limitation whatsoever, then how do we know what's real? How do we know what's true and accurate and faithful and what isn't? If there's even one bit, one little word throughout Scripture that we say, no, that just came in by accident. That came in by human invention. That came in because of some aspect of the culture. And where does that end? How do we know, then, if what we're hearing is really the words of God or the words of men? Well, thankfully, God, who happened to create this universe and create our minds and create words and human language and all the rest of it, he just happens to have the resources to deal with this problem. And the way he deals with it is through inspiration. And it's the only way that this problem could be dealt with. As long as we are simply left to our own devices to best describe according to our own reasonable conclusions what God is like, we would never get it right. But no, God has to to dictate to the human writers of scripture exactly the words that are to be used. Now, we don't mean to say when we say dictate as sort of like an automatic you know, some medium who is suddenly the brain is switched off and switched to a different channel and starts uh, repeating these words out in some sort of bizarre fashion. No, God's much better than that. He's much better than a demon. He has a way of working through people perfectly, using even their situation in life, using even their culture and all the rest of these things, but working in a way so that the words that are spoken are precisely the words that he wishes to communicate to us. Now notice the connection between the accuracy of these words and the blessing that comes from them. We see that in one of the prime verses having to do with the inspiration of Scripture in 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now one might say, how is that possible? Are these not just human books? These scriptures, speaking of the Old Testament, subject to all the limitations of sinful men who are captive to the limitations of their own age. Well, no, because Paul goes on to say then in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Those things go together. These words are able to make you wise to salvation, incredibly and eternally blessed, only and in so much as they are the words of God himself, spoken by inspiration. If that were not the case, then these words would be of little benefit to us. But because they are given by inspiration, by those he has specifically authorized to speak on his behalf, 
through the power of his Holy Spirit, then there is great blessing in them. And that's reflected, by the way, in the final installment of Scripture, as we see in Revelation 22.10. Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, the very one that John was writing, because these words were likewise inspired and intended to be conveyed in order that we might be blessed. Now, because of these things, then the word is faithful and true. That's connected up for us in verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servant these things which must shortly take place. They're faithful and true, and you can take the end in various ways. Uh, the Greek word and is, is very flexible. And sometimes there's more than just a disconnected this And without any real connection, that actually very often there's a connection in the thoughts. And I think that's the case here. These words are faithful and true because they're sent by the holy prophets. They're sent by angels. And therefore, the nature of God's word, the character of God's word, is that it's faithful and true. Now, we might just say at this point that we have to understand that words have real objective meaning. In our day, in the age of postmodernism and in pluralism, there's been a loss of confidence in these things, a loss of confidence that, that words can have any objective meaning and that it can mean this to you and it can mean something else to someone else. And these words change over time and even give it a few years. And who knows? We have no way of knowing what somebody was trying to say or not. Well, I want us to understand that that's not God's understanding of things. God gives his word, and he attaches real objective meaning to it. He gives us ways in which we can know that real objective meaning, and he expects us to keep them. Consider the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, One jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And again, he's speaking of the two smallest of the Hebrew characters. Two little things you might just think would be, uh, depending on the circumstances, maybe just a blot of the, the pen as someone was writing. Very, very small. But he says, not one of those things is going to fall to the ground. Not one. Because God intended that every last one of those letters and every last one of those words and sentences and verses and books intended them to be for our benefit and expects us to receive them, expects us to obey them and keep them. And he's holding us accountable for those things. These words have real meaning. And therefore we are to keep them. These words are real and they are true. Because God himself is true. You know, our speech, whether we like it or not, reflects our character. If our character is bad, then our speech is going to be bad. If we are ourselves shifty and dodgy, our words are going to come across, no matter how hard we try in that way. But if we are faithful and true, then our words are going to be like that as well. We're going to say something and we're going to do it. If, we're going to, if we make a promise, we're going to keep that promise. If we say something, it's going to reflect reality because that is the character that we have, if, if that's possible. Unfortunately, what God says, his word says, is that all men are liars. 
and that in one point of our life or another, and not at all, that we should ever give up. God makes it very clear that he expects his people to be truthful as he is truthful. But men, generally speaking, because we are sinners, eventually lies come through. But God is not like that. God's character is true. And he is the essence of truth. And all the things that come from his mouth, and we can be sure that these words came directly from his mouth through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they are faithful and true. And that's then, therefore, why we can have the second part, the second point. It's just because these words are so faithful and true, just because they've come directly from God himself through the inspired means, through his prophets and angels, that secondly... These things are committed to a book. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 7. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets of those who keep the words of this book. Now, I want you to understand just how necessary and how reasonable it is that God's faithful words would be put down in a book. Because sometimes people say, I wish that God would just speak to us directly. But I don't think they really know what they're saying. I think that theoretically that sounds like a good idea, but I don't know. Because what if God really were speaking to us, to me, to you, to someone else, and and so forth? And he, he gave a little bit to me and a little bit to you and to someone else? You start thinking about the, the implications of that? And moreover, what would I do if I really did, theoretically, receive a particular inspired word from God? What would I want to do with that? I'd want to put it down in a book for lots of reasons. Number one, well, A. Let's let's call A. A, because it makes it plain. And what I mean is that God's word to us is not something communicated in in effable ways to mystics. You know, sometimes the mystics have this kind of... um, and, and, And they're not always... Orthodox Christian mystics in this sense, and they have some sort of strange and mysterious sense of the presence of God. And, and I don't mean to say that God doesn't give us a wonderful sense of his presence. But these less Orthodox mystics, they, they have some sort of idea that comes across in their mind, and they communicate it, but it's not in any kind of word. But no, God's word is plainly written down in a book so that anyone can read it. That's what's said in Deuteronomy 30.10. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it afar off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who should go over the sea for us and bring it to us so that they, we may hear and do it? But know the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. And the whole point of all that is not something ineffable mystery. It is rather that this word is written down in plain language so that anyone could read it and understand it. And B, writing it down makes it public. Now that's, I think, what's in Deuteronomy 31, the very next chapter of that book. Verse 24, so it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book when they were finished that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord saying, take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Why? For safekeeping? 
that it may be there as a witness against you. You see, the public nature of God's written law is that it's a word that it is something that everyone can see, everyone knows about. It's not hidden away, available only to some people, of which they, they claim that they're acting on behalf of this word, but you've never seen the word yourself. No, it's public, publicly accessible. It's a book that everyone can see. You know, that's the thing of, of if I said that I had some special revelation that you don't have, how are you going to evaluate that? How are you going to say, brother, stop teaching that false teaching, that heresy? And I say, I've got it from the Lord. By what standard, what public standard are you going to hold me accountable? But God's word given to us in a book is the perfect way to deal with that. See, you can make it widespread. Because exact copies can be made of books and those books can be taken to other places. The example of King Jehoshaphat sending leaders and Levites to teach throughout the cities of Judah in Second Chronicles 17. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. It can be disseminated. D, it can be a constant reminder. You know, a vision would be a wonderful thing. It's... But even the most favored prophet that God had did not get that vision every single day. And very many of them went many long years without hearing anything from the Lord at all. And if that was their only source of God's word, it would surely fade over time into nothing. But rather, Deuteronomy 17, 18 says this, Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, speaking of the future king of Israel, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. Why? And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and his statutes. That it's going to be with him all of his days. It's not just a one-time reception of something from God in a vision or dream. It is an ongoing reminder for us because we have this book with us all the time. It's a constant reminder. And E it makes it to endure throughout history. It's not just for us. And God has, against all odds, against all enemies, how many have taken in hand to desire to destroy this word? So many, but they're not able to do it. But not only in our time, even when the Bible itself was still being completed in the time of the Old Testament, you remember the example of Hilkiah, the high priest, finding the book of the law in the time of King Josiah. He says in 2 Kings 22, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphat the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Reminder that this book is something permanent. It's something that endures. You can find it later, later generations. can find it. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and delivered it. Um, then Shaphan said, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when it happened that the king heard the the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes, he repented. And the whole nation along with him, and there was a great reformation and revival in the days of this king because they found this book. It can endure throughout history, and so it has. And so it is for our situation, our situation now, it may well be a situation that comes in the new heaven and the earth. Maybe we do not need such means. But for our situation on this earth, it is the absolutely perfect means that God's perfect word is given to us in this book, the Bible. 
Now, our third point is that eternal blessing is attached to it. Returning to Revelation 22, verse 7, it says, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And that, incidentally, perhaps you've forgotten about it. I've forgotten about it. To tell you the truth, it reiterates something we heard at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. Do you remember? Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things that are written in it, for the time is near. The very, very beginning and the very end, it says the same thing. Blessed are they who keep the words of this book. Now, blessing is attached to obedience. There's nothing new about that concept. Indeed, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw in Deuteronomy how that blessing was to be found in the obedience to God's law of half the tribes on the mountain shouting out, blessed is the one who keeps that part of the law, and blessed is the one who keeps that part of the law. Blessing, blessing, blessing upon obedience. Or even more recently, in the history of redemption and the history of revelation john 13:17 if you know these things blessed are you if you do them jesus reiterates the very same thing if you know these things blessed are you if you do them now keeping of course means that it means to obey it means some other things as well but it means to obey keeping god's law you remember that kind of strange situation in the gospel of luke it's, uh, I think it's a kind of precursor, sadly, to the uh, idolatrous reverence and worship that Roman Catholics give to Mary. Now, Mary is someone to be respected, certainly, but she's not someone to be worshipped or revered in, in that kind of divine sort of way. And what happens in Luke eleven twenty seven? as he spoke these things, a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you, speaking of Mary. But he said in response to that, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You see how Christ is constantly bringing back our attention to the word of God. And sadly, how it was that human religion given to itself is just like that. Turning away from the written word of God, which so often the Roman Catholic Church does, and turning to human instruments such as Mary for their devotion. Well, it's not just for the crowd, but it's specifically for his disciples that Jesus also says in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And that's the word, keep. That's used even in the great commission itself. You know, in Matthew 28, 20, what are we supposed to do? What is the mission of the church? Teaching them to observe. And that word is the very same in Greek, keep. Teaching them to keep all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, those who are sent to speak on the behalf of God, his authorized messengers, are not merely informing people of the word of God. Not just telling them, interestingly, did you know this? Here's another curiosity. Here's something to satisfy your intellectual curiosity. Did you know this? No, that's not the mission. The mission is that these people are to keep these things. They are to obey them, believe them, receive them, keep them. The emphasis, not so much 
on the intellectual knowledge, although it's necessary, it's a prerequisite, but even more so than on this keeping of God's word. That's why, by the way, the goal of preaching, an essential part of preaching must be application. It is not enough simply to say what the word is. There you are, now you know the word of God. That's a prerequisite. It's important. It's essential even. But it moves on to the next part, which is it must be applied because we are to teach God's people to keep these things. Now, keeping beyond in a related way to obedience, it also is conforming. You know that uh, Christ personified as, as wisdom in the great proverb, Proverbs uh, chapter 8 and verse 32 says, Now therefore listen to me, my children, for blessed are you who keep my ways. And the idea being the ways of wisdom. And here, not speaking of specific commands so much as the overall larger picture of these things, the ways of wisdom, the ways of God that we should be conformed to. Uh, the opposite, of course, with, with Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't conform to your ways. Don't keep their ways. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a conformity to it. Obedience, conformity. And there's blessing that's going to come from it. Great blessing. Blessing both now and forever. And I want you to understand that there is blessing that is going to happen now. I won't spend any time on it, really, just to refer to what was said a couple of weeks ago in the, the Deuteronomy sermon of the great blessing that will surely happen to those who keep God's law. Even those who aren't saved are going to be blessed in various ways in this life by it. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not preaching to you the gospel of life enhancement. What I'm saying today has effect for all of eternity, far more importantly. And that's why in John 8:51, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Not just that his life's going to be a little bit better. He shall never see death if he keeps my word. What kind of blessing is that? What kind of powerful word is this? That if you receive it and keep it and keep hold of it and believe it and act on it, that you won't die. No, it's not just merely blessing in this life. It's something that you'll have eternal life. Why? Because God's word is the way that the gospel is communicated to us. That's the way that God is communicating to us all blessing. Why do we speak of the means of grace? And when we say the means of grace, it's all centered on the word. Even the sacraments... As we spoke of yesterday, the sacraments are centered on God's word. That's his way of blessing us. That's his way of communicating to us, communicating grace, communicating ultimately himself to us. That's the way it works, through his word. How do we end up having the Holy Spirit? Well, the spirit and the word work together. And it is through the declaration of this gospel. It is through his word that you end up being indwelt by this Holy Spirit. How is it then that you uh, have Christ indwelling you? Is it not also by the proclamation of his word? And because he enables you to receive it through his spirit, then you have both the Son and the Spirit living in you. He's communicating himself through his word. Now this word, this gospel, it, it consists in words that, cannot, that can be spoken. It's not as if I say to you, so, Bill, tell me, I understand you're a Christian. 
how do I become one? How do I have this, these things? And I say, oh, it's wonderful. Let me tell you, it's, it's really wonderful. I just, I can't really describe to you how I became a Christian, though, and I, I don't know what it is. I, I'm not sure where I can send you if you want to become a Christian. It just sort of happened to me, and it's a warm, fuzzy feeling, and I'm, I can tell you it's great, but I can't tell you anything more about how you can share in this. It's not like that. The gospel can be articulated in specific words. Words that can be spoken and words that can be heard. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. And he doesn't go on to say of just feelings that can't be articulated. He doesn't just go on to say this is the way I want to articulate it in my culture. I'm sure it will be extremely different in your culture. No, he goes on to say these are the words. This is the gospel which I myself received and which I communicate to you. which you received and which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. These words can be spoken, and these words can be believed, and if they are believed... You are saved. That's the way Christ communicates to us. If we knew nothing of Christ, how could we put our faith in him? How can we believe? How can we love someone whom we've never, we have known nothing about whatsoever? We must hear about him through words. And words that can be communicated from this book. That's, by the way, Romans 10, 13, why it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Great, that's a wonderful thing. If you call on the name of the Lord, then you'll be saved. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. But how does that work? For then, shall, how, that, how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And you see this chain. Sometimes people speak wrongly of God's sovereignty. Of Well, God can do anything. Let's not put God in a box. God can do anything. And so I'm sure that there's lots and lots of different ways. Maybe the, maybe the Muslims are saved. Maybe the, the Hindus are saved and, and so forth. But actually what he says, God is in fact able to do absolutely anything. But what he says is that he ordinarily works through a specific chain of things, all connected with his articulate, inspired word given to his church in order that it might communicate it to the world. And that in order that someone might hear and believe, they first might need to hear about this Lord Jesus Christ in his word. Fourthly, The word is urgent. And that's the other thing that you cannot escape as you read through these verses, just how urgent these things are. These are events that are going to happen quickly. In in verse 6 he says, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. It's about events that are going to happen soon. Now, There are many things that can be put off to later. But God's word is not one of them. 
God's word has to do with something that is happening quickly. Because mainly and most importantly, as we see in, in this book of Revelation, it is about a Christ who is coming quickly. In verse 7, behold, I am coming quickly. It's not just that these events themselves are going to happen, but these events all point to Christ and his soon return. I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And the emphasis is not at all, therefore, on taking your sweet time to consider these things. Now, I understand that it's very true that sometimes people falsely put a, a artificial psychological pressure on people to believe even before the, the word and the spirit have had their work upon them and they are looking for some sort of artificial and immediate conversion experience. You can't even leave this worship service until you walk the aisle and, and say this sinner's prayer. I don't mean that. But what I want you to understand is that I don't know of a single place in Scripture where it says, Take a few months to think about this. Take a year or two. Maybe when you're in a better situation in life, before you decide to start obeying, and before you start, decide to start believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and to do these things and keep his word, take your time. There's no rush. I don't find that in Scripture at all. We should carefully consider the words, absolutely. But there is attached with that an urgency because there is not, we don't have forever. These things are happening quickly. The Antichrist is doing his thing. He is active. Satan is active in the world. The world is out there trying to get you to compromise, trying to press you into its mold. The world is active. The Antichrist is active. Satan is active. Your own flesh is active. These things are happening whether you want them to or not. And along with it, Christ is building his church. And along with it, he is bringing to a completion his work of redemption. And soon enough, he is coming back. And for those reasons, you don't have an infinite amount of time. These things are going to happen quickly because the time is near. That's what it says in verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. If the time were forever in the future, it would be fine for For John to put that in a vault somewhere. That's interestingly why I know that things like the Dead Sea Scrolls that have only been discovered within the last century or so are not, uh, well, of course, many of the Dead Sea Scrolls conclude um, the the Scripture, so I don't mean that, but of the things that are beyond Scripture, that's another reminder of why they're not part of the canon, because God intended these things to be known from the moment that they were written. Why? Because he knows we need to hear these things. The time is coming. And if it's not so universally for the whole universe coming to an end, it is for us individually, because we just don't live that long on this life. And our end might be sooner than we think. And for these reasons, he has given us his word, that we might believe on it now. Now, we understand that there is a greatest blessing attached to keeping God's word, but of course now, but far more so for in eternity of everlasting life. And we've seen that it's an urgent matter. It's not something to be put off. And the simple question is, what should we do? How can we make this great blessing ours? What are we supposed to do then, if that's the case? What are the reasonable, rational things that we ought to do? Well, first of all, we've got to hear it. Notice even in Revelation 22.8 that I, John, saw and heard these things. 
Now to do that, we have to be under its hearing. If we're going to do that, if we're going to hear it, if I'm going to hear the word of God, I at least have to be under his hearing, and that has to do with being in church. Now, thankfully for the great majority of us, that's not something hard to do. A reminder of our brother and sister absent, how their great ambition is simply to be here on the Lord's Day. It's funny how that goes. His life carries on to his inevitable conclusion of how the things of the world began to, to shrink from view and, and how maybe at some other point in our lives that church is just something else that we do. It looms larger and larger and larger until the end until that is the great and central high point of our existence on this earth. Well, I think there's something right in that. I think there's something true in that because that's where we're heading to a place where the worship of God and the word of God and Jesus Christ are the center and only point of our existence. To hear the word of God, we've got to hear it. We've got to be under us here and we've got to be here. But physical presence is one thing. It's not just and not enough merely to be here. Because sometimes I know myself that I've been in church physically but not there mentally and if they're mentally not there spiritually. Those things are very different. I mean there by being there mentally it is very possible to be distracted and thinking about many other things. And of course today electronically it's entirely possible to be somewhere else entirely intellectually. But that's not going to enable us to be blessed. Because if we want to be blessed, we're not going to just be here physically. We're going to make sure that our minds are attuned to the word of God. It's going to be important to us. We're going to do whatever it takes. Sometimes we have to prepare ourselves physically for that. Sometimes it's hard to stay awake for lots of different reasons. And we have to do whatever it takes. Why do I care so much about opening windows? Do you know why? Because my priority is not your physical comfort. Do you know that? My priority is that you hear the word of God. Now, granted, I hope we can come to a day where you have some sort of automatic thermostat that we don't have to take such extreme measures, which I know that some of you have suffered under. But the point is, what I want you to, I don't want you to fall asleep. I've done that myself because I'm drowsy and there's not enough air. Please, somebody open a window so that we can hear the word of God. We do whatever it takes. If it takes going getting to sleep a little bit earlier on a Saturday night, maybe that's what we've got to do. But if you're seeking for blessing, and see that, say, what are we doing in this life other than seeking for blessing? Why do you do the things that you do? Is it not because you believe that you're going to be blessed in it? Well, I'm telling you, and the Word of God is telling you, that blessing comes in hearing the Word of God, and therefore it must be your great priority. You're here physically. You're here mentally. You're able to really concentrate and think on these things. And you're also prepared spiritually. Because there's also another problem along those lines. And that is if your, your mind and your heart have been all filled up with filth in various ways. The things that this world produces. Your own sin and so forth. You're not going to be in a situation to hear it. And furthermore, I would say this too, if we're, if we're taking God's word as, as you know, I, I'm, I've got this big, big grid and it's got little tiny holes in it. And every word that is said, I'm going to parse it to death and criticize and critique it. And only on the exceptional case will I let it come through and actually hit my heart. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you're doing that, I can tell you, you won't be blessed. And in another four years of this church, in another 20 years, you'll be just where you are today. Because that's never going to allow you to receive enough of the word of God to be blessed by it. Now, I don't mean to say that those who preach behind this pulpit are inspired or or themselves inerrant. But they are on the whole because the elders are keeping them accountable. Because they're part of a faithful denomination. They are preaching the word of God. And so with some few, if they're exceptional cases, of course, there's always going to be the situation in which you say, now that doesn't sound right, and you need to be like the Bereans and check that with the word of God. Absolutely. But that's the exception. If that's the norm, if that's the norm, that everything is being questioned and critiqued, then I would suggest it might be better for you to go to a different church. Go find some church where your default setting is that what this man is saying is the word of God, and I'm going to receive it. If it's not like that, then you're hurting yourself. And you are making sure that this word, which is the source of blessing, is not making it into your heart. You've got to hear it. Now, of course, I'd add to this to read it yourselves. Throughout the week, this is a great, wonderful thing of, of having all these copies of Scripture that we can really read it for ourselves. Secondly, we hear it. Secondly, we keep it. Because that's how we're going to be blessed. It's not just hearing it, it's by keeping it that we're going to be blessed. That's where the blessing is attached to it. Hearing is essential. Hearing is the predication. But keeping it is what's going to make us blessed. We've said already that God communicates salvation through his word. And indeed that he communicates himself through his word and giving us Christ. And that keeping implies both our belief and our obedience of it. You see, it is not just, it's there, I've heard it, but it is a belief, a joyful reception, it is an obedience of those things. And so again, I don't, for, for those who are outside of Christ, those who haven't put their faith in Christ, I wonder if you understand the great privilege that you have this morning. I repeated to you those words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how he came and lived in this world and a sinful life and according to the scriptures he died on the Roman cross he died not for no reason not just for an example he died in order that he might pay the penalty for our sins the wrath of God do our sins and that furthermore he rose again the third day and he lives forevermore if you believe that if you know that to be true if you believe that then you're saved that's the blessing. You've got to believe this word. And the greatest of eternal blessing comes from it. And furthermore, beyond this initial belief, it implies a obedience to it. This keeping of, that's what, what Christ was speaking of when he says, if you love me, then keep my commandments. You know about my commandments. You've got to know them. You've got to hear them. But you also receive them as true and you act upon them. You act as if they were true. And belief and obedience are intimately connected. What are we saying when you say that you believe on Christ? It means you've really stepped off the, the dock onto that boat of Christ for your salvation. You're no longer resting on your own works, but you are spiritually have taken the action of putting your faith, resting your faith rather in Christ, you see. And likewise, when you take that step, that also implies the way that you live. 
You live in accordance with this word. And we all must believe it. We must believe this gospel. We must put aside our doubtings. We must say, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. We must walk in the way that he's given to us. Thirdly and finally, I'd say one thing that might be useful for us all if we want to be blessed by this word is we need to communicate it. You know, there's various ways to understand where you have different callings in life. But everyone has a great privilege of communicating this in, in our conversation even to one another. Again, why do we buy everyone books? And if you haven't gotten one of, the, one of our books, see Chris, get one. Why, why do we bother doing that? Why do we bother have a Bible reading plan? So that we have something to say to one another. So that we can encourage one another in the good things that we have found in God's word. It is full of treasure. And the great wonderful thing is we all get to sort of take turns finding treasures from it. Pulling them out and giving them to one another. Have you seen this? Have you considered this? It's wonderful. But these are the means by which God enables us then to be sustained in it. And certainly, parents and teachers, you have the privilege of teaching children this word. And likewise, those considering the ministry, this thing that you're going to be called to is all centered on this. You know, sadly today in so many seminaries, the great emphasis is on counseling. And you're supposed to know more about counseling than, than those who have PhDs in psychology. And you're supposed to know more about organizational leadership than CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and all the rest of these things. But there's one thing needful, there's one thing requisite, and that is knowing this word and being able to communicate to it. Because that is the means by which God is going to bless his people. Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are blessed. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for how you have spoken to us. You have not been silent, but out of your grace, out of your goodness, you have communicated to us so much, so perfectly, in all your inspired and inerrant word. And Lord, we can only say that we have not been sufficiently appreciative. We do not recognize the great blessings that we have. And so often, we neglect the blessings that we have. Well, Lord, how we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hear these things, to believe your word, to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to act in accordance with his word, to be filled with it. Heavenly Father, help us to be filled with your word and your spirit. Help us to glorify you in the things that we do. And Lord, from our side, from our perspective, we pray that you would fulfill this great and unconditional and repeated assurance that we will be blessed if we keep this word. Help us too. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.